Sam's Ghost by W. W. Jacobs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Alan Lord. Sam's Ghost by W. W. Jacobs. Yes, I know, said the night watchman thoughtfully, as he sat with a cold pipe in his mouth, gazing across the river. I've heard it afore. People tell me they don't believe in ghosts. They make a laugh of them. And all I say is, let them take on a night watchman's job. Let them sit here all alone of a night with the water lapping against the posts and the wind moaning in the corners. Especially if a pal of theirs has slipped overboard and there is little nasty bills stuck up just outside in the high street, offering a reward for the body. Twice men have fallen overboard from this jetty, and I've had to stand my watch here the same night, and not farthing more for it. One of the worst and artfulest ghosts I ever had anything to do with was Sam Bullet. He was a waterman at the stairs nearby here. The saw man that gets you to pay for drinks and drink yours up by mistake while he had finished his own. The saw man that had always left his backy box at home but always had a big pipe in his pocket. He fell overboard off of a lighter one evening and all that his mates could save was his cap. It was only... Two nights afore that, he had knocked down an old man and bit a policeman's little finger to the bone. So that, as they pointed out to the widow, perhaps he was taken for a wise purpose. Perhaps he was happier where he was than doing six months. He was the sort of chap that would make himself happy anywhere, says one of them comforting-like. Not without me says Mrs. Bullet, sobbing and wiping her eyes on something she used for a pocket handkerchief. He never could bear to be away from me. Was there no last words? Only one, says one of the chaps. Joe Peel by name. As he fell overboard, says the other. Mrs. Bullet began to cry again and say what a good husband he had been. Seventeen years come Michaelmas, she says. And never a cross word. Nothing was too good for me. Nothing I had only to ask to have. What is going now? Says Joe. And we thought we ought to come round and tell you. So as you can tell the police. Says the other chap. That was how I came to hear it first. A policeman told me that night as I stood outside the gate having a quiet pipe. He wasn't shedding tears. His only idea was that Sam had got off too easy. Well, well, I says, trying to pacify him. He won't bite no more fingers. There's no policeman where he's gone to. He went off grumbling and telling me to be careful. When I put my pipe out, I walked up and down the wharf, thinking. Only a month before, I'd lent Sam fifteen shillings on a gold watch and chain, what he said an uncle had left him. I wasn't wearing it, because he said his uncle 
wouldn't like it. But I had it in my pocket. When I took it out under one of the lamps, I wondered what I ought to do. My first idea was to take it to Mrs. Bullet. And then, all of a sudden, the thought struck me. Suppose he hadn't come by it honest. I walked up and down again, thinking. If he hadn't, when it was found out, he would blacken his good name and break his poor wife's heart. That's the way I looked at it, and for his sake, and her sake, I determined to stick to it. I felt happier in my mind when I decided on that, when I went round to the bear's head and had a pint. Like that, I had another, and then I come back to the wharf and put the watch and chain on and went on with my work. Every time I looked down at the chain on my waistcoat, it reminded me of Sam. I looked onto the river and thought of him going down on the ebb. Then I got a sort of lonesome feeling, standing on the end of the jetty all alone. And I went back to the bear's head and had another pint. They didn't find the body. And I was almost forgetting about Sam. When one evening, as I was sitting on a box, waiting to get my breath back to have another go at sweeping, Joe Peel, Sam's mate, came onto the wharf to see me. He came in a mysterious sort of way that I didn't like, looking behind him as though he was afraid of being followed, and speaking in a whisper as if he was afraid of being heard. He wasn't a man I liked, and I was glad that the watching chain was stowed safe away in my trousers' pocket. I've had a shock, watchman, he says. Oh, I says. A shock what shook me all up, he says, working up a shiver. I've seen something what I thought people never could see and what I never want to see again. I've seen Sam. I thought a bit before I spoke. Why, I thought he was drowned, I says. So he is, says Joe. When I say I've seen him, I mean... I have seen his ghost. He began to shiver again, all over. What was it like? I says, very calm. Like Sam, he says, rather short. When was it? I says. Last night, at quarter to twelve, he says. He was standing at my front door, waiting for me. And have you been shivering like that ever since? I says, worse than that, says Joe, looking at me very hard. It's wearing off now. The ghost gave me a message for you. I put my hand in my trousers pocket and looked at him. Then I walked very slow towards the gate. It gave me a message for you, says Joe, walking beside me. We was always pals, Joe, it says. You and me. And I want you to pay up 15 bob for me, what I borrowed off of Bill, the watchman. I can't rest until it's paid, it says. So here's the 15 bob, watchman. He put his hand in his pocket, then takes out 15 bob and holds it out to me. Nah, nah, I says. I can't take your money, Joe Peel. It wouldn't be right. 
Poor Sam. He's welcome to the fifteen, Bob. I don't want it. You must take it, says Joe. The ghost said, if you didn't, it will come to me again and again. So you did. And I can't stand any more of it. I can't help your troubles, I says. You must, says Joe. Give Bill the fifteen, Bob, it says, and he'll give you a gold watch and chain. What I gave him to mine till it was paid. I see his little game then. Gold watch and chain, I says laughing. You must have misunderstood it, Joe. I understood it right enough, says Joe, getting a bit closer to me as I stepped outside the gate. It's your fifteen, Bob. Are you going to give me that watch and chain? Certainly not, I says. I don't know what you mean by a watch and chain. If I had it, when I gave it to anybody, I should give it to Sam's widow, not to you. It's nothing to do with her, says Joe, very quick. Sam was most particular about that. Well, I expect you dreamt it all. I says. Where would poor Sam get a gold watch and chain from? And why should he go to you about it? Why didn't he come to me? If he thinks I have got it, let him come to me. Why, I'll go to the police station, says Joe. I'll come with you, I says. But here's a policeman coming along. Let's go to him. I moved towards him, but Joe hung back, and I used him one or two words that would have made any ghost ashamed to know him. He sheared off. I had a word or two with the policeman about the weather, and then I went inside and locked the gate. My idea was that Sam had told Joe about the watching chain before he fell overboard. Joe was a nasty customer and I could see that I should have to be a bit careful. Some men might tell the police about it, but I never cared much for them. They're like kids in a way, and always asking questions, most of which you can't answer. It was a little bit creepy all alone on the wharf that night. I don't deny it. Twice I thought I heard something coming up on tiptoe behind me. The second time, I was so nervous that I began to sing to keep my spirits up, and I went on singing till three of the hands of the Susan Emily, what was lying alongside, came up from the forecastle and offered to fight me. I was thankful when daylight came. Five nights afterwards, I had the shock of my life. It was the first night for some time that there was no craft up. A dark night and a nasty moaning saw wind. I had just lighted the lamp at the corner of the warehouse, what had blown out. I was sitting down to rest before putting the ladder away when I happened to look along the jetty and saw a head coming up over the edge of it. In the light of the lamp, I saw the dead white face of Sam Bullitt's ghost making faces at me. I just caught my breath, sharp-like, 
and then turned and ran for the gate like a racehorse. I'd left the key in the padlock, in case of anything happening. Man, I just gave it one turn, flung the wicket open and slammed it in the ghost's face and tumbled out into the road. I ran slap into the arms of a young policeman What was passing. Nasty, short-tempered chap he was. I don't think I was more glad to see anybody in my life. I hugged him till he nearly lost his breath. And then he sat me down on the curbstone and asked me what I meant by it. What, with the excitement and the running, I couldn't speak at first. And when I did, he said I was trying to deceive him. There ain't no such thing as ghosts, he says. You've been drinking. It came up out of the river and run on me like the wind, I says. Why didn't it catch you then, he says, looking me up and down and all round about. Talk sense. He went up to the gate and peeped in, and, uh, watching a moment, stepped inside and walked down the wharf with me following. It was my duty. Besides, I didn't like being left all alone by myself. Twice we walked up and down and all over the wharf. He flashed his lantern into all the dark corners, into empty barrels and boxes, and then he turned and flashed it right into my face and shook his head at me. You've been having a bit of a lark with me, he says, and for two pins I'd take you. Mind, if you say a word about this to anybody, I will. He stalked off with his head in the air and left me all alone in charge of a wharf with a ghost on it. I stayed outside in the street, of course, but every now and then I fancied I heard something moving about the other side of the gate, and once it was so distinct that I run along to the bear's head and knocked him up and asked him for a little brandy for illness. I didn't get it. Of course, I didn't expect to. But I had a little conversation with the landlord from his bedroom window. That did me more good than the brandy would have done. Once or twice, I thought he would have fallen out. And many a man has had his license taken away for less than a quarter of what he said to me that night. While he thought he had finished and was going back to bed again, I pointed out to him, he hadn't kissed me goodnight, and if it hadn't have been for his missus and two grown-up daughters and the potman, I believed he'd have talked to me till daylight. How I got through the rest of the night, I don't know. It seemed to be twenty nights instead of one. But the day came at last, and when the hands came on at six o'clock, they found the gate open and me on duty, same as usual. I slept like a tired child when I got home. An hour of steak and onions for dinner. I sat down and lit my pipe and tried to think what was to be done. One thing I was quite certain about, I wasn't going to spend another night on that wharf alone. I went out after a bit, as far as the Clarendon Arms, for a breath of fresh air, and I'd just finished a pint and was wondering whether I ought to have another. When Ted Dennis came in, 
and my mind was made up. He'd been in the army all his life, and so far he had never seen anything that had frightened him. I've seen him myself take on men twice his size, just for the love of the thing, and I'm knocking him silly, stand him a pint out of his own pocket. When I asked him whether he was afraid of ghosts, he laughed so hard that the landlord came from the other end of the bar to see what was the matter. I stood Ted a pint, and I he had finished it, I told him just how things was. I didn't say anything about the watch and chain, because there was no need to. And when we came outside again, I'd engaged an assistant watchman for night and tonight. All you got to do, I says, is to keep me company. You didn't turn up till eight o'clock of a night, and you can leave half an hour afore me in the morning. Right-o, says Ted, and if I see the ghost, I'll make it wish it had never been born. It was a load off my mind. When I went home and ate a tea, that made my missus talk about the workhouse. Men, all stretches in human shape. What would eat a woman out of house and home if she would let them? I got to the wharf just as it was striking six. And at a quarter to seven, the wicket was pushed open gentle and the ugly head of Mr. Joe Peel was shoved inside. Hello, I says. What do you want? I want to save your life, he says, in a solemn voice. You was within an inch of death last night, watchman. Ah, oh, I says, careless-like. How do you know? The ghost of Sam Bullet told me, says Joe. I really chased you up the wharf, screaming for help. He came round and told me all about it. It seems fun to you, I says. I wonder why. It was in a terrible temper, says Joe. And his face was awful to look at. Tell the watchman, it says, that if he don't give you the watch and chain, I shall appear to him again and kill him. All right, I says, looking behind me to where three of the hands of the daisy were sitting on the forecastle smoking. Well, I've got plenty of company tonight. Company won't save you, says Joe. For the last time, are you going to give me that watch and chain or not? Here's your fifteen, Bob. Nah, I says. Even if I had got it, I shouldn't give it to you, and it's no use giving it to the ghost. Because, being made of air, he hasn't got anywhere to put it. Very good, says Joe, and giving me a black look. I've done all I can to save you, but if you won't listen to sense, you won't. You'll see Sam Bullet again, and you'll not only lose the watch and chain, but your life as well. All right, I says, and thank you kindly. But I've got an assistant. As it happens, a man who wants to see a ghost. An assistant, says Joe, staring. An old soldier, I says, a man what likes trouble and danger. His idea is to shoot the ghost and see what happens. Shoot, says Joe. Shoot a poor harmless ghost. Does he want to be hung? Ain't it enough for a poor man to be drowned 
But what, you must try and shoot him afterwards? Why, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Where's your heart? He won't be shot if he don't come on my wolf, I says. So I don't mind if he does when I've got somebody with me. I ain't afraid of anything living. I don't mind ghosts when there's two of us. Besides which, the noise of the pistol will wake up off the river. You take care you don't get woke up, says Joe, hardly able to speak for temper. He went off stamping and grinding his teeth. At eight o'clock to the minute, Ted Dennis turned up with his pistol and helped me take care of the wolf. Happy as a skylark he was, and to see him hiding behind a barrel with his pistol ready, waiting for the ghost, almost made me forget the expense of it all. It never came near us that night, and Ted was a bit disappointed next morning as he took his ninepence and went off. Next night was the same, and the next, and then Ted gave up hiding on the wharf for it and sat and snoozed in the office instead. A week went by, and then another, and still there was no sign of Sam Bollett's ghost, or Joe Peel, and every morning I had to try and work up a smile as I shelled out nightmares for Ted. It nearly ruined me, and worse than that, I couldn't explain why I was short to the missus. First of all, she asked me what I was spending it on. Then she asked me who I was spending it on. It nearly broke up my home. She did smash one kitchen chair and a vase off the parlour mantelpiece, but I wouldn't tell her. And then, led away by some men on strike at Smith's Wharf, Ted went on strike for a bob a night. That was Arthur. He had been with me for three weeks, and when Sadie came, of course, I was more sure than ever, and people came and stood at their doors all the way down our street to listen to the missus taking my character away. I stood it as long as I could, and then when her back was turned, for half a moment, I slipped out. While she'd been talking, I'd been thinking, and it came to me, clear as daylight, that there was no need for me to sacrifice myself any longer, looking after a dead man's watch and chain. I didn't know exactly where Joe Peel lived, but I knew the part, and I was peeping into seven public houses. I see the man I wanted sitting by himself in a little bar. I walked in quiet-like and sat down opposite him. Morning, I says. Joe Peel grunted. Have one with me, I says. He grunted again, but not quite so fierce, and I fetched the two pints from the counter and took a seat alongside of him. I've been looking for you, I says. Oh, he says, looking me up and down and all over. Well, you found me now. I want to talk to you about the ghost of poor Sam Bullet, I says. Joe Peel put his mug down sudden and looked at me fierce. Look here, don't you come and try to be funny with me, he says, because I won't have it. 
I don't want to be funny, I says. What I want to know is, are you in the same mind about that watching train as you was the other day? He didn't seem to be able to speak at first, but after a time, he gives a gasp. What's the game? He says. What I want to know is, if I give you that watching chain for 15 bob, will that keep the ghost from hanging around my wharf again? I says. Why, of course, he says, staring. But you ain't been seeing it again, have you? I've not, and I don't want to, I says. If it wants you to have the watching chain, give me the 15 bob and it's yours. He looked at me for a moment as if he couldn't believe his eyesight. And then he puts his hand into his trousers pocket and pulls out one shilling and fourpence, half a clay pipe and a bit of lead pencil. That's all I got with me, he says. I'll owe you the rest. You ought to have took the fifteen bob when I had it. There was no help for it. And I'm making him swear to give me the rest of the money when he got it. And I shouldn't see the ghost again. I handed the things over to him and came away. He came to the door to see me off. And if ever a man looked puzzled, he did. Pleased at the same time. He was a load off my mind. My conscience told me I'd done right. And I was sending a little boy with a note to Ted Dennis to tell him not to come any more. I felt happier than I had done for a long time. When I got to the wharf that evening, it seemed like a different place, and I was whistling and smiling over my work quite my old way when a young policeman passed. Hello, he says. Have you seen the ghost again? I have not, I says, drawing myself up. Have you? Nah, he says. We missed it. Missed it? I says, staring at him. Yes, he says, nodding. The day I you came out screaming and cuddling me like a frightened baby. It shipped as A.B. on the Bark Ocean King for Valparaiso. We missed it by a few hours. Next time you see a ghost... Knock it down first and go and cuddle the police afterwards. Oh, End of Sam's Ghost. Read by Alan Lord.